0: Here in Alaska, people still count, as much today as in the 20s. I would love to think the world will survive its obsession with machines to see a day when people respect one another all over the world. It seems as clear as a shaft of the aurora that this is our only hope. My prayer is that Alaska will not lose the heart-nourishing friendliness of her youth, that her people will always care for one another, her towns remain friendly and not completely ruled by the dollar, and that her great wild places will remain great And wild and free, where wolf and caribou, wolverine and grizzly bear, and all the Arctic blossoms may live on in the delicate balance which supported them long before impetus man appeared in the North. This is the great gift Alaska can give to the harassed world. Margaret Murray, Preface Two in the Far North.
1: Hello, and welcome to Trail Mix here at Gaze at the National Parks, the
0: podcast. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. Trail Mix is the short format episode of our podcast where we get to cover all manner of different topics related to the national parks and our public lands.
1: That's right. And today, our Trail Mix episode is all about the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, the importance of this space, and what actions have been taken to further preserve it. So, what do you know about wildlife refuges? Wow. I mean, I know they exist. Mm-hmm. I know that they're very important. Yeah. I know that they are. Spaces dedicated for perhaps very specific wildlife. Maybe it's the only space that they can thrive in. Mm-hmm. So there's a wildlife refuge or a designated area created for them so that their environment stays intact. Yeah. I do know of a wildlife refuge area that was like down where I grew up mm-hmm. because there was this section of the beach that no one could go on because it was where sea turtles would like. Oh, okay. Come onto this. Sh- I don't know what is their process. Don't they like they come onto the shore, shore and they lay their eggs? They lay their eggs and right. then the eggs, and then once they hatch, they have to crawl out to the right. ocean before so the seagulls get them. Exactly.
0: Right. Exactly. So that was um. That's interesting. I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really know all that much. Probably a little of what you, you know, had just said, you know, prior to doing some of the research here. But I knew that when we were on Channel Islands, half of the island that we had visited was a national wildlife refuge.
1: Yes. So part of Channel Islands is the Channel Islands National Marine Sanctuary. Okay. It protects 1470 square miles of ocean waters around the northern channel islands okay. for long-term conservation of wildlife and habitats. Yeah.
0: Okay, I knew there was something going on there yeah. in regards to that, but I feel like, you know, I didn't really know too much of the the bigger details of what wildlife refuges were, basically how they were managed, what they were all about in the grand scheme of things. And so this episode in some ways dives deeper into that as well. It's no surprise
1: that Teddy Roosevelt had a major hand in conservation in the United States. From the Antiquities Act to helping to birth the modern National Park Service, despite his major character flaws and his abhorrent attitude to those of other races, one of his major legacies as president that has mostly survived to this day is conservation. Now, we could talk at length about Roosevelt and his founding of the MPS, or in regards to his racism, but... We've already done that in two trail mix episodes from season two of our show, one titled Teddy Roosevelt and the other titled Without a Trace. We bring him up again here because Roosevelt was also instrumental
0: in the creation of the National Wildlife Refuge System. That's right. And this was sort of his grand start when it came to conservation of other public lands. In his first annual message to Congress, Roosevelt stated that Quote, the forest reserves should be set apart forever for the use and benefit of our people as a whole and not sacrificed to the short-sighted greed of a few, end quote, which essentially set the tone for taking his lead in the field of conservation. Six months later in nineteen oh two, he created a new national park in Crater Lake, and about a year and a half after that, in March of nineteen oh three, established Pelican Island in the Indian River Lagoon as the first federal bird reservation, which essentially created the National Wildlife Refuge System. In fact, in total, throughout his tenure as president, Roosevelt went on to establish one hundred and fifty national forests, fifty one federal bird reserves, four national game preserves, five national parks, and 18 national monuments, and over 230 million acres of public land.
1: But again, this trail mix is less about Teddy Roosevelt and more about the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. So let's get back to what a wildlife refuge is. The following information is from Defenders.org. Quote, Refuges are found in Arctic tundra, tropical rainforests, coral reefs, coastal marshes, arid deserts, and tall grass prairies. There is a national wildlife refuge in every state and within an hour's drive of most major metropolitan areas. While the primary mission is for wildlife conservation, wildlife-dependent recreational uses are also prioritized when compatible with the conservation purposes of each refuge. Additionally, there are more than 20 million acres of designated wilderness in the refuge system spread out in 75 refuges over 25 states. There are over 560 national wildlife refuges in the United States and territories. More than 420 of these refuges are open to the public, and more than 350 allow hunting. National wildlife refuges are home to more than 220 species of mammals, 700 bird species, and over 1,000 different species of fish. Refuges provide habitat for over 380 threatened and endangered plants and animals and are crucial stopovers for millions of migratory birds. Several refuges were developed to protect endangered species. This is robust,
0: yeah. to say the least. Um, I think when I read that, my brain sort of exploded because it is incredible to think about how much land is set aside in the refuge system. Like it's, it's pretty impressive to know that that's the case and that's the case for not just regular old species of <laughs> mammals and, um, and birds and reptiles and things like that, but also set aside specifically for endangered species. And I think when we think about the national park system, you think about parks that were specifically created for species of flora, like the sequoia tree that were like specifically set up for that right, purpose. Right. There are some parallels. Like I feel like that that happen here. But I also do think it's impressive that this is a system that exists. And I really didn't know much about it, and didn't know much about no, I'm how robust a it lot. is. Yeah, I'm
1: learning a lot. Today. Was there
0: anything that really stood out for you
1: in that? Over a thousand species of fish. Yeah. Obviously, there are thousands right. of different kinds of fish. But it's, you know, I didn't know. That wildlife refuges, I guess, could be home to that many different kinds of
0: species. Thinking about when we do our, um, our summit episodes and thinking about what we do when we talk about the wildlife, it's always, a, it's always amazing because for the most part, you don't see that wildlife in the park. It's there, but it's, it's good at not being seen. So even when we talk about, like, fish, I'm always surprised when it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, the Yosemite river houses 350 types of this type of fish. And it is, it is kind of crazy to think that. Right. Yeah. But it's just so very, very interesting to see, that this is a system that we have in place, and it's an incredibly important system. The National Wildlife Refuge System is managed by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services. The mission of the refuge system within the Fish and Wildlife Services is to, quote, administer a national network of lands and waters for the conservation, management, and where appropriate, restoration of fish, wildlife, and plant resources and their habitats within the United States for the benefit of the present and future generations of Americans, end quote. They do this in a way different from most other public lands, however, in that the spaces are created with a statutory wildlife-driven purpose in mind. That means the environment that is conserved is done so for the benefit of the flora and fauna who most depend on that environment, sort of what you were saying earlier when when we were talking at the beginning. Any recreation or activities on that land must not endanger or hinder the environment for the wildlife that is being protected in this space wildlife conservation is what drives everything in a national wildlife refuge system. Keep that fact in mind for later. The National Wildlife Improvement Act of 1997
1: actually provided much greater guidance in the management and direction of these refuges. This included, but was not limited, to requiring uses to be compatible with conservation, prioritizing of wildlife-dependent uses where compatible, the requirement of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services to maintain biological integrity, diversity, and environmental health, as well as their administration of refuges according to Comprehensive Conservation Plans, or CCPs. These plans must involve the public and refuges must be managed in accordance with these CCPs. Remember this as well for later. These refuges over 560 of them vary from wetlands to rivers, deserts to marine areas, forests to wilderness. The largest amount of acreage of the National Wildlife Refuge System, over 75% of the total acreage, lies in Alaska. And most impressive and largest of wildlife
0: refuge resides there, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. The Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, or ANWR, was established in 1960 as the Arctic National Wildlife Range by Public Land Order 2214 and contained approximately 8.9 million acres. In 1980, Congress passed the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation, or ANILCA Act, which Designated much of the original refuge as wilderness under the auspices of the 1964 Wilderness Act. At this time, an additional 9.1 million acres of public land were added to the range and it was renamed the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. An additional 1.3 million acres were added in 1983. It should also be noted that the passage of the Anilka created most of the national parkland in Alaska, elevating sites like Katmai, Glacier Bay, Gates of the Arctic, Kenai Fjords, Kobuk Valley, Lake Clark, and Wrangell-St. Elias from national monuments to national parks. The ANILCA further stated that the purposes of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge were to conserve fish and wildlife populations and habitats and their natural diversity, to fulfill the International Fish and Wildlife Treaty Obligations of the United States, to provide the opportunity for continued subsistence uses by local residents and to ensure water quality and necessary water quantity within the refuge.
1: The section that was designated as wilderness, about 8 million acres of the original acreage, is the portion of the refuge that is designated for hunting, fishing, and other recreational activities. This wilderness section does not allow for any oil or gas activities unless conducted by an interior department agency or contractor. Another section of the refuge, known as the coastal plain or section 1002, as it is known in the Anilca, was required to be studied regarding the, quote, potential impacts of oil and oil and gas exploration and development on those resources and a delineation of the extent and amount of potential petroleum resources, end quote. Studies were done through the 1980s regarding oil and gas exploration on the coastal plain by both the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services as well as private exploration firms, which were funded by a group of oil companies. However, in section 1003 of the ANILCA, Congress stated that, quote, production of oil and gas from the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge is prohibited and no leasing or other development leading to production of oil and gas from the refuge shall be undertaken until authorized by an act of Congress, end quote. That act of Congress came attached to the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which added an additional purpose of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, to provide for an oil and gas program on the coastal plain.
0: That's right. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act included a provision that had little to do with either taxes or jobs, but rather the sale of oil and gas leases on the coastal plain. This is not the first time that an attempt has been made to allow for drilling on the coastal plain, as the passage of the ANILCA Act did not necessarily close the door completely on this, but left it up for Congress to take up at a future date should they choose. Most recently, in 2005, an attempt to open the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge was ended after a Democratic filibuster turned the tide of public opinion on it. Prior to that, Bill Clinton vetoed a proposal that would have opened the refuge, and in 1989, had it not been for the Exxon Valdez spill, the refuge would most certainly have been opened. However, 2017 saw a long-awaited job complete the potential for drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to finally be opened after years of stagnation and failed legislation. This has far-reaching implications, not just for the environment as a whole, but for the future of the National Wildlife Refuge System. So there's a lot to unpack with what is going on, what could potentially happen, and how that opens the doorway for a lot of things that could be really damaging to the National Wildlife Refuge System. Yes, certainly, to say the least. Right. Obviously, most important is stopping the potential for these oil and gas leases in the Arctic. But aside from that, who's to say this has not created a slippery slope? Oh,
1: yeah. That was, that's my concern. It's like anytime there is a, you know, we pass a law that is about something else it's like you know we could just slip another one of these and right you know what i mean right and that happens all the time with congress it's a way to you know try to get things passed and try to get action happening a little bit faster which is also how things get designated as national parks sure but as easily as one thing can be now designated a <laughs> right. national park, we can also allow for oil and gas drilling on a wildlife refuge Right, on public land, basically.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, another thing that is important and something that we mentioned earlier were regarding the um, comprehensive conservation plans. So this was something that was, you know, really important. The public has a say in what happens here. By adding oil and gas purposes to the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, that directly contradicts the current CCP that's basically held by not only the Arctic Refuge, but other wildlife refuges across the country. Um, So it, I feel like, opens the doorway for potential legal maneuvers in other spaces where, you know, maybe there's oil or gas. And so why not revoke the privileges of this refuge? Part of, I think... The creation or at least the addition to this refuge was already legislation that was attached to it that said, you know, you need to study this area of the refuge for potential for oil and gas. And we can choose to open that at a certain point if we want to. Not that I want this to happen there, but that's the only thing that I feel like is potentially a saving grace for other refuges or other pieces of public land to be spared from the same fate as the ANWR. Currently in 2020,
1: we have entered the phase in which leases to the land in Section 1002 can be opened for leases to oil companies. The ANWR has been the subject of speculation prior to this, And much is entangled in state, local, and tribal interests. For example, there is plenty of benefit, but plenty of risk to be had by indigenous Alaskans in regards to drilling in the ANWR. Much of this comes into play because of the ANCSA, or the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act of 1971, in short, about 44 million acres of the state, which is about one-tenth of the state, is owned by native Alaskans because of the ANCSA. This land is managed through 12 regional corporations as well as hundreds of village corporations, and this is the bare bones basic explanation of a mountain of information on the state of Alaska and its indigenous tribes. Some of the land in the ANWR and along the north slope is owned by these corporations, so Any oil discovered there or on land which they own the mineral rights to create the potential for a pretty hefty profit to be made. However, if drilling is allowed to occur, the impact on the environment and animals of the region that other native people rely on and hold sacred, including caribou, is relatively unknown. There have already been issues with reports from the Department of the Interior failing to adequately address potential harm to polar bears in their reports. Other scientific studies of a similar ilk have been either stymied, pressured to be published, or in the case of a new coastal plan assessment, which would help better understand what sort of oil or gas reserves may lie within the area of the coastal plain were abruptly canceled. It is
0: clear, as with most events that have taken place surrounding the opening, studying, and leasing of land in the ANWR, that it has mostly been rushed or not as clearly thought through as it should be. Politics plays a huge role in the opening of the land in the first place, not just that of the indigenous Alaskans, but those in the Alaska State House and the halls of Congress. Alaska has been a land that has been protected in so many ways through its national parks, monuments, reserves, and refuges. While the opening of this section of the one reserve to oil and gas drilling may seem like a drop in the bucket for the size of a state like Alaska and with the protected land that it has, the issue runs deeper than the dollar and into a sense of what this nation holds to be important. For over a hundred years, the conservation of spaces across this country has allowed for the natural splendor of the nation to shine as one of its crowning jewels. There is no going back when we open this doorway, whether it is retaining the majesty and pristine nature of the ANWR, or in slowly whittling away what we have worked so hard to protect for so long, once sullied, it cannot be so easily redeemed. Leases for land on the coastal plain will go on sale
1: as of January 6, 2021. Even though various lawsuits may hamper the actual step forward as steps toward the leasing have been fast-tracked and illegally taken. Along with that, corporate pressure has kept the six biggest U.S. banks from any form of commitment toward funding drilling in the ANWR, along with two dozen global banks.
0: Despite all of this, nine of these leases were signed for land totaling 685 square miles. These leases were not made public until the final full day of the Trump administration. Within hours of taking office, President Biden placed a moratorium on all oil and gas drilling in the ANWR. His order cites alleged legal deficiencies and calls for the Secretary of the Interior to review the program with the potential for full environmental review. This along with many other executive actions have already made Joe Biden the president that has taken the most important steps towards fighting climate change. This action, pointed at the ANWR, is an important action not only for the environment as a whole, but the fragile ecosystems and habitats of the flora and fauna of this area that would never recover from the drilling. environmentalists and progressives
1: have hailed the move, just like with the pulling of the permits for the Keystone XL pipeline, there is anger among conservatives for overreaching in areas that affect the economic windfall, and in some cases, economic survival of an area. And while the economy and the livelihood of people, cities, towns, and states are important, they do not supersede the importance of the global environment that we all need to share In order to make certain that both the economy and environment flourish, we have to look toward more sustainable and renewable means. Let's hope these actions can help to both forestall disaster and incite conversation and imagination that works toward a better future. This has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. We're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there.
0: Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by Dustin Ballard
1: and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow us on Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gazeatthenationalparks@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And to find out more about this episode and all the other parks visited on the show, visit our website, gazeatthenationalparks.com. That's G-A-Z-E.
0: All original artwork featured on Instagram and on our website is by Michael Ryan. All original
1: music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sklios.
0: Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, that we are on the traditional and stolen land of the Lenape people, also known as Ocean County, New Jersey.